0: Well, listen, listen, why don't you start helping us out in the kitchen? All right. <laughs> uh, you can start by sticking your face in, 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 in the freezer
1: and making us some other stuff. <laughs> Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you might be. Me, me, me. It's me, your pal, Junkman. Back to annoy your asses with the next few hours of all kinds of cool music here on Junkman Radio. Ah, glad you can make it. Hope you're ready for an assault on your senses. Not just an assault, but maybe a little massage as well on your senses. All including the best music that you're ever going to hear, courtesy of my personal collection. That's right. Welcome to Junk Band Radio right here at Hut Studios in Anaheim, California. Right next door to the world-famous Hut Club. The scene of so many punk and rock and roll shows over the years, I can't even tell you. And it's a national landmark, too. That's right. Historical, in fact, for many reasons. <laughs> We're also right across from the 5 Freeway South, and that's even more world-famous in some circles, so just letting you know, but it's a great place to record and rehearse and uh, broadcast, obviously, right here, Hut Studios in Anaheim. I'm ready for a big show, and I'm ready to get started, so boys, if you will, let's tell them what it's all about, shall we? We've
0: been waiting for a long time. Yeah! Yes, we've been waiting for a long, long time. Yes, sir. We've been waiting for a long time. We're getting ready to rock and roll We're gonna one, two. Three, four, one, two.
2: I remember a few years ago some funny things used to happen to me, about 1956, 57. At that time there was no blues scene or uh, not really any kind of scene in uh, London. I used to go out and play my guitar in the streets and sing things in the hat brown. Remember one particular night I was uh, playing my guitar in a little alleyway just off of Water Street in Soho. And uh, I got busted by the police. as police came up and dragged me and my guitar and my hat full of pennies off to the police station. Anyway, the next day I had to appear in Marlborough Street Police Court, and uh, it was quite a day. Police officer giving his evidence. I was proceeding in a southerly direction, my lord, when I heard uh, strange sounds coming from a or place, my lord, a sort of bougie woojee music was being played. On further investigation, I saw the defendant standing there with a guitar and an old hat on the floor collecting pennies. Well, I decided that uh, he was contravening a breach of the peace there there was a traffic jam about five miles long down uh, Wardour Street, wondering what all the uh, fuss was about. So then I arrested the uh, defendant. Uh, Just one moment, officer. What is this bougie-wouju music you were talking about? Oh, well, my lord. So the officer, getting out his notebook, obviously been doing up his homework, a kind of uh, jazz rhythm music peculiar to the American Negro. Oh, what was the defendant doing uh, playing this kind of music there in Mordor the, in Street? Anyway, I got off with a caution a year's conditional discharge, but I'll always remember that policeman and his bougie woogee. So don't try to lay no bougie-woogie on the king of rock and roll.
1: Radio. Rocking a little boogie woogie for you, baby. That's courtesy of uh, Long John Baldry. And don't try to lay no boogie woogie on the king of rock and roll. Great intro on that, isn't it, man? I heard that when I was a kid, and I realized I got to go find that record. And it took me forever to find it, but I finally did. And there you go. You are it right here on Junk Band Radio. Great stuff. John, Long John Baldry is a legend over there in Great Britain in the blues scene over there in the 60s and early 70s. Uh, Elton John is one of his big fans and got his start, I believe, uh, courtesy of uh, of Long John Baldry and others. Man! Great song before that uh, with another legend that you may not know of. His name is Johnny Johnson. And Johnny was the leader of the band in St. Louis, the Johnny Johnson band, I guess it was. And uh, Chuck Berry joined the band and basically took over. And Johnny is on playing piano on every one of Chuck Berry's hit records. Every one of them. that that piano that you hear behind him is just that's all Johnny, and, uh, and they came out with a with a record with a solo record about maybe fifteen years ago, maybe twenty years ago or so, and uh, that was called Tangere, featuring Keith Richards, who who uh, was one of the producers of it, along with Steve Jordan on drums, who has a great backbeat on it, just awesome. A lot of people that played on that record because they all loved Johnny, and uh, I guess Johnny was he was kind of out of the scene, and he was driving a bus in St. Louis, until somebody said, "Hey, you know what, dude? It's time to re- record some of your music." So right there, I hope you loved it, and he's just got that, just that great rock and boogie sound on the piano. Johnny Johnson, a great song called "Tangare," all about getting a little drink of gin there. Played Jerry Lee Lewis. <laughs> yeah Jerry Lee Lewis the killer himself yep yeah. with uh, Crazy Arms that was uh, in the movie uh, Great Balls of Fire along with Dennis Quaid helping him out on that too and just a great version of Crazy Arms just cool stuff NRBQ one of my favorite bands in the world ever and I want you to feel good too a staple on their live shows Terry Adams on the on the piano on that one of course, it started things out with the Bus Boys, and the boys are back in town. That one you can hear on the soundtrack for the movie Forty Eight Hours, Eddie Murphy's first movie. Man, just cool, cranking it, rocking right here in the studio, Dollhead Studios. In fact, something new, man. I love this record. We've had her on the show, and uh, she's a good friend, Cherie Curry from the Runaways. That's right, as a brand new record out with her good friend Brie Darling from the band Fanny. And they've uh, collaborated together in a great new record called The Motivator. This is the first uh, single off it, the title track, entitled The Motivator. It'll get your toes tapping, man, right here on Junk Band Radio. Crank this up. The Motivator, baby. Brand new from Sheree uh, Curry and Brie Darling. Dig this! man radio blasting it out to you guys with some Tom Petty and I need to know Tom Petty and the heartbreakers actually you know just want to get that in there <laughs> Hey I'm doing a little Facebook live so say hi to Facebook hey Facebook live how are you I'm here at Dollhead Studios in Anaheim and broadcasting as I do uh, when I can so some playing some great music for you guys I hope you enjoying it uh, Again that was Tom Petty and heartbreakers I need to know. Saw Stevie Nicks do a live version of that one time. I believe that was at the Us Festival, the second Us Festival, and that was a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, those guys all knew each other, played on uh, each other's songs quite a bit, and uh, love it. So For that, my boys, Little Caesar from their brand-new and 8, and their version of Mama Tried, an old Merle Haggard song, and as they say, they Little Caesarized it and did a damn fine job at it, just so you know. Uh, I played Warren Zevon, the late Warren Zevon, and his version of A Certain Girl. That one just rocks. And uh, speaking of rock, I played I'm a Rocker from the Raspberries, going back to about 1973, 74, before that one. And I started that set out with something brand new from my good friends Cherie Curry and Breed Darling from their brand new record entitled The Motivator. That was the title track, The Motivator. And yes, again, I'm dancing in the studio, listening to that one. So, Anyway, I hope you guys are uh, enjoying the, the show over here on Facebook Live. I know I haven't been doing Facebook Live in, in quite a while, but I figured, yeah, it's about time. It's a beautiful summer day. It's July. A lot going on here in Southern California, especially down here at Hut Studios where I'm broadcasting from. So it's a great place to record and rehearse and obviously broadcast. So... Anyway, just thought I'd give you a little shot of what I do. going to play some new stuff for you. This is brand new. Their first record in 26 years. They've got a brand new album, and uh, here it is. This is brand new from the Stray Cats. This is called Cat Fight Over a Dog Like Me. Brand new from Stray Cats on Junk Man Radio. Crank it up, and let's dance, baby, shall we? Come on. Crank it. All right. It ain't playing. (laughs) We're going to try it again. All right. We're going to do a little cat fight over a dog like me by Stray Cats. Okay? So that's just how it goes sometimes. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. You know, whatever. We'll figure it out. band Radio, going back to about 1981 with a band called 707 that was called I Could Be Good For You. That was a big hit on FM radio back in the day, and then just, uh, I don't know, the band kind of petered out. You never really heard too much about them. I know uh, they still continued to exist for a while, but then uh, that was about it. I remember seeing them on American Bandstand playing that song. I think it was American Bandstand, one of the TV shows that had them, but that was back in the day where... All the guys in the bands were wearing spandex and silver outfits and crap like that, you know. <laughs> but a good song. Nick, Nicole, always love that song. I could be good for you. You just don't hear it anywhere else except for here, Junk Band Radio. Ambrosia, another one of those bands that was from back in the 70s. They came out with a couple of very soft hits, but they were a very, very cool, eclectic style of progressive rock out of Long Beach, California area. And uh, Ambrosia, and the great song called Life Beyond L.A., which was the title track of one of their records. David Pack, killer singer, the lead singer. And uh, that band is still touring around in uh, other forms here and there. David Pack, I know, is still doing some vocals for people here and there. Speaking of vocals, the best vocal band in America, as far as I'm concerned, a band called Venice. And uh, they're good friends. And that's a great song called My Woman. And i like to send that out to My Woman, too. She's having her birthday this weekend. And uh, that's for you, baby. But a uh, great song called My Woman from Venice, from their Garage Days records. They had a couple of uh, outtakes, ones that never made their, their final cuts on their records, so they decided to put them out on their own records called Garage Days. And they had a part one, part two, part three, with slow and fast stuff. And that was from one of the fast ones. But a uh, great song called My Woman. X and 4th of July. Of course, all about Independence Day and all the things that are going on with the particular uh, point of view of one particular writer. Probably John Doe from X. And X is playing this week, too, in the Southern California area. Man, hard to believe that that original band is around after 40 years. They're still doing it and doing it well. Play The Doors with La America. Jim Morrison's death date coming up. I believe that would be tomorrow or the next day. Yeah, the, thir- the third, that would be a couple of days from now, from when I'm broadcasting, that is. And, uh, man, from their L.A. Woman record, La America. Great song. Very spooky. <laughs> Isn't it? Just a cool, cool song. And it started things out with a new one from the Stray Cats, entitled Cat Fight over a dog like me from their brand new one, entitled 40. Man, Stray Cat's around for that long as well. It's amazing to me. Unbelievable. All right, there's a great movie out. That's, uh, It's called Echo in the Canyon, and it's all about the music that was coming out of uh, an area of Los Angeles called Laurel Canyon back in the 60s and 70s. And some great music from such great artists like Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Young, and Joni Mitchell, and the Mamas and the Papas, and all these different people that came out with such great music back then. And Jacob Dylan, who's the son of Bob Dylan, is uh, one of the people that's the main person involved in making this film. And he's redone a couple of the songs. And this one right here, a great song that you heard from Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Buffalo Springfield before that did this song called Questions. And this is Jacob Dylan featuring Eric Clapton, brand new from the Echo in the Canyon soundtrack, Questions on Junk Man Radio. Junk Band Radio. (laughs) I love that song. Biff Bang Pow from The Creation. Sounds like early Who, doesn't it? Just love that song. Wow. Biff Bang Pow. (laughs) Dig it. All right. uh, Before The Creation, we did The Bangles and Ride the Ride. Great harmonies out of that one, isn't it? Man, those girls are really, really fabulous. I dig them. They're fab, man. Amazing. Linda Rodstadt, before that, with I Can't Let Go, the old Holly song. Done with her. I just love the layered vocals on that. It just, it really just has always gotten me from that uh, particular record. Good stuff. And I started things out from the brand new Echo in the Canyon soundtrack. It's all about all the music with, uh, man, so many artists that were back in the 60s and 70s that came up in this little community outside of, or, just above sunset strip in Los Angeles and uh, Jacob Dylan son of Bob Dylan has put together a nice documentary on it and put out uh, redone some of the songs and that one particularly redone by Bob or by Jacob Dylan and Eric Clapton and a song's called Questions which was originally done by the Buffalo Springfield and redone by Crosby Stills and Nash and Young such a really just awesome song and I really like that remake of it. It's just, uh, it's good. I'd like to hear some more of that. And again, if you listen to Junkman Radio consistently, consistently, let's try that again. Consistently <laughs> sounds like I've had too much to drink, but I haven't. Uh, you will hear that song quite a bit because I plan on playing it quite a bit. Hey, it's Junkman, and uh, on the line I have an old friend, a gentleman, and uh, just a very, very talented guitar player and composer, Mr. Mark Bonilla. How you doing, Mark?
3: I'm good. How about everybody else? Everybody good there at your place?
1: Everybody's awesome. Um, yeah, we got uh, me and engineer Phil over here just uh, recording the <laughs> recording. What you got? Brand new release right. out of you uh, called Celluloid Debris. Um, yeah. Man, this is this is a great collection of work. Uh, you must have been working on it for quite a while. Um,
3: yeah, tw- yeah, you could say that. It was 25 years. Wow, since the last. Since the last solo album, has Why, it really been that long? This. It's been that long. So, yeah, debris or um, Matador, yeah. American Matador came out in '93. Wow. You know, so it's just you know, I'd started a, I'd started like two or three of these back, you know, as a follow-up to Matador, but I got kind of sidetracked uh, with with um, I was working at the time with James Newton Howard and and uh, got involved heavily in film work, you know, then I got, you know, a lot of TV shows and film work. And so And cut to now, uh, I figured it was time to put all of those things that I was, you know, musically, I don't know what called call sidetrack, but just different avenues, you know, working with Keith uh, Emerson and uh, CTA with Danny Serafin and writing for symphonies and all this other stuff that I got, I was, I lucked into, to doing, and figured I would reflect that on this album, so it'd show that, you know, if people go, where the hell have you been? Well, here's where I've been. You know. <laughs> been kind of a busy guy. Now, uh, the yeah. title
1: itself, yeah. Celluloid Debris, that tells me one thing. It's like, it seems like leftover music from film from films, or is it just music that you have adapted to films?
3: Tell us a little bit about no, the title it's, it's first off. No, it's neither. It, really? Yeah, it's neither. The, the debris doesn't mean it was a wasteful thing. What it meant was, in... in and there's there's a lot that goes into this. The album is is got a few slices or layers of onion to it. You know, there's there's segs on this album like there were on Double e Ticket, and those segs are called from a lot of different sources from my childhood. A lot of them. Uh, I had a buddy of mine, I still do, uh, Jim Gammon, who uh, was blind since birth, and was one of these guys that never actually treated his so-called handicap as a handicap. And one of the, one of the things that he did was he, you know, his, his hearing got incredibly, um, you know, sharp from, from the absence of being how vision. And he was very attuned to sound and attuned to music. He always had the first album when it would come out, you know, he, he turned me on to more bands. You know, I, I heard my first ELP record there. I heard my first yes record first blood, sweat and tears first Maha Bishnu first miles Davis. I mean, everything was basically, he was the guy, right. And, uh, He also taped everything, taped everything. We would walk around the neighborhood when I was 10 years old. He'd tape it. You know, he he would always be. So we have archives of of our lives, really. And so a lot of this stuff that's in between the tracks is culled from things that were were there that I had growing up that then introduced the tracks as they come about. And the rest of it, celluloid, obviously, meaning film, uh, this was... Basically, a soundtrack of my life for the last twenty-five years. Things ah, that I've okay. gone, things that I've been. The debris is just the stuff that just goes around in your head that you think about. You know, it's it's just uh, you know all of these things. So it's not a, it's not like stuff that wound up on the cutting room floor for a film. Uh, hardly. It was just it, these were all written uh, for the the sole purpose of expressing a, a part of my life from from you know ninety three to two thousand eighteen or two thousand nineteen rather.
1: Thanks for clarifying. That makes it a lot more interesting that way, anyway. (laughs) So, this is great. Um, Man, it's just, I've been listening to this thing and just, I'm watching it go for different, different places. Like it goes from from one kind of frame of mind to the next. And again, yeah, like you said, you're pulling in things from your past. There's a, there's a cover, there's a couple of cover songs on here too that, that you've redone and um, from different, Different avenues too. Uh, I really like Flesh Wound. First off, it's one of the first tracks that that I like to be able to play today, if uh, if I can. If you could tell us uh, our audience a little bit more about
3: Flesh Wound, that would be awesome. Well, what what we have is uh, for me. It was always the comment for this, and I've I've kind of in the album, I've 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 put explanations for each song what I was writing about. Ah, uh, since they're instrumental, a lot of times that's open to interpretation, which is perfectly fine. But uh, this would give you an idea of, of where I was coming from that, that kind of inspired me to write it. Uh, Flesh wound was written. It's and it's one of the harder songs, if not the hardest song on the on the album, uh, as far as you know, aggression. Maybe that's why uh, I it like was, it so much. <laughs> could be. Could be. Uh, it's. Uh, it's basically kind of reflecting the, the, the times and that we're in today, which is there's so much uh, that the media uh, propagates, you know, all of this, this escalation of violence in our society, especially with the, uh, the advent of social media, where you're starting to see things on YouTube and on, and on Facebook that we really shouldn't be seeing. Right. And, 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 you know, and, and, but but the media really leads with this stuff. You know, they, they've, they've become kind of a tabloid uh, exploitation magazine source. It's not like you get any kind of straight news from them anymore. It's all like it's all to advance their ratings. So with all of this in mind, it's, you know, they're, 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 we seem to be oversaturated with it. And therefore, much like a heroin addict where you can't use the same amount to get high, you need something more extreme to get higher. Or to stay as high as you are, so it's an expanding, constantly expanding universe for selling these visceral experiences, you know, to a population that's already overexposed. So the tune starts out with a, you know, the, the intro to the song is one of the segs. It starts out with a with a uh, kind of a a, a gunfight in a supermarket, you know. At least it's it's and people are screaming and all of this, and then but you hear in the background uh, who actually was my wife, Joey saying clean up on aisle seven as oh, if man. this happens every day. And right. it's, it's one of those things where it's just a routine thing. Now, no one gets excited about it, even though we've just lost two or three people in the, you know, in the, uh, yeah. frozen food section. Yeah. That's... So it's, it's, uh, and all of this stuff was cold from some of the stuff was cold from things in, in my childhood, not that I was at a supermarket when people got blown away, but it was just, uh, these are collages that kind of set up the next song, you know? And, uh, So that's how how that came about.
1: Now, when did you first start
3: working on this piece? This piece? I I actually started the riff on this, the the original riff, back after um, American Matador. Uh I loved the riff of it. And I just kind of left it. It was just this cool riff. And then, like I said, I got got kind of diverted into the soundtrack stuff. And and two or three of the songs, I believe it was uh, Westwood, Fleshwood, and Prisoners, were all started back in 94. And I had gotten kind of an idea and a vibe for it, but I never finished them. And then, flash forward now, I went back in and said, okay, I like this riff, let's, let's fashion an entire song out of this. And so the, that's what I did for, for all three of those songs.
1: Well, let's give it a play, man. I really, again, this is this is the one that first really just got to me. I guess again because you said it's like very aggressive, and I really love aggressive music. So well, let's uh, let's give it a play. Again, it's from the brand new celluloid debris record from Mark Bonilla. Um, released uh, the
3: release date on this is is uh, day after tomorrow, July third. Wow! It releases on my website, which will also launch the same day. Uh, which is going to be markbeniamusic.com. So that's M A R C B O N I L L A for all of those guys who don't come from Latin descent. Uh, <laughs> Music uh, You'll be able to get it on there. And uh, so, yeah, Wednesday. It's terrific! Congratulations. Thanks.
1: All right. Well, hang on the line there just for a moment. We're gonna play. Uh, we're gonna play Flesh Wound. From Mark Bonilla, again, from said celluloid debris record upcoming in two days, and it's going to be awesome. So check this out. Crank it up, and we'll be right back with Mark in just a moment. Hold on the line there, my friend. All right, brother. You got it. Here we go. This is celluloid debris and flesh wound. Mark Bonilla, that, my friends, is called flesh wound. Nice work. Can you Thank hear me? you, man. I'm telling you, I that. certainly go for that's it.
3: That's Joe Travers,
1: by the way, on drums. That man. is our boy Joe Travers on drums.
3: Good. Oh yeah, good. Yeah. I had, uh, I, I was in no shortage of a a list drummers on this record, so I picked three of the best, and that was Troy Locketta from Tesla, who's been with me. On pretty much every project that I've done, he and I are like brothers, and and uh, so he was on uh, he's on uh, some of these uh, tunes, and then Joe's on some of these tunes, and then also Greg Bissonette wow. plays on a couple. Of, no slouches, so. man. And
1: Joe, of course, a member yeah. of uh, the the infamous Dragon
3: Qu- uh, Choir. Yes, is, so. yes, he certainly was. Yes, now, he was. It there... will be again.
1: Are yeah, I was going to ask you: Are you going to be doing any more Dragon Choir? Uh, yeah, we stuff? want to
3: do some shows. Yeah, we want to do some shows to promote this. And you know, I've been working uh, with him, and also been working with Thomas Lang, and uh, you know, so they're all saying like, "Let me know when you you want to do this," and and we're in. So you know, i would be very much looking forward to playing with those guys again. Mm-hmm. You know, and Troy is.
1: Yeah, Troy, well, Troy's a busy guy too, you know, with Tesla tour and all the rest of those things. So, he's been a busy yeah. guy, especially in the summertime, because that's uh, that's yep. prime central for touring for the, for that particular band and others. Um, man, we were mm-hmm. talking on the break on um, you know you did a lot of work with the late Keith Emerson. You guys were had a band together, uh, a couple of them actually. I remember interviewing yeah. you with uh, the Three Fates project, and right. um, there's been some the, a lot of work that that. That you guys did together, that I'm sure has come up on this particular record. I'm thinking, um, which track, like the eruption of John Minimum, perhaps that you would that you'd spoke yep. about on some of the that's,
3: notes. That's exactly right. The eruption of John Minimum. The the basic tracks for that were, were myself, uh, Greg Bissonette, and um, Bob Birch, uh, who was also in the Dragon Choir. And we had done we had originally laid this song out for the Keith Emerson Band featuring Mark Benio record. And, uh, we decided collectively that, uh, you know, uh, Keith has said, you know, I, I love this record. He says, but I think it's a bit too aggressive. Do you think for, for, for this, for the record? You know, and I said, you know what? I was thinking that same thing too. I love the tune, but I just, I think we ought to maybe, you know, uh, well, let's put it on hold for a while. And he goes, oh, I know. He says, you could do it on your solo record. You know, because that's always what you always say to people. Like, yeah, I love sure. it. Why don't you do it on your solo record? Exactly. It's so not I for said, this band. Well, do it on, it on your solo. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, well, maybe I will. <laughs> so I'm sure he's having a good laugh up there now because we actually did. I did put it on my solo record, which uh, it works, you know, and and uh, it's the only vocal tune on the album. So I had laid the vocals down back back then. You wow. Know, but that was uh, was done in 2007, I think. Now was uh, it? But then I the rest of the track was finished, you know, just not too long ago, but, um, yeah, it was just always a great track. I always loved it. Um, you know, and having again, Bissonette and Birch back there, the, the Detroit twins, uh, banging that stuff out, uh, was, was not only was it great, but it was, you know, sentimental for me because we lost Bob as well. Uh, you know, a few years ago and he and I were, were extremely close. And so I I like having a, a bit of him on the album, you know, now, was there a
1: lot of material that were that you were working on with Keith uh, before his uh, before his passing that uh, that may see the light of day besides this particular well, track? Well, we
3: were working on some that has seen the light of day. Um, there's a new album out called Beyond the Stars, uh, which is only right now released in vinyl, and it just sounds glorious in vinyl. And that, again, that's with Toddie Mickelson, and uh, this was the uh, Saint Martins uh, or the Academy of Saint Martins in the Field. Of, right. Uh, did this uh at abbey road and it's some of keith's new compositions uh, like beyond the stars and Glorietta pass uh ethan his grandson is on the album rachel flowers is on the record uh you know the the keith emerson band is on the record uh so that just came out not too long ago and i would urge anyone who loved the three-phase project to, to pick this up because it's it's a continuation of that and some beautiful stuff and some of the newest stuff from keith so um we'll see what happens in the future. He, he left a lot of things, uh, written on manuscripts. So, you know, at some point, uh, CJ Vanston, me and, uh, Steve Carl will be going through his files and seeing what might, you know, what we might do. And then we would obviously have to consult the family to see, you know what they're comfortable with and, and what they want to do so uh but that's that that could uh, see the, possibly see the light of day as well
1: oh, i'm always looking forward to that he's uh he's sorely missed by everybody i would imagine yes. with his his uh working with him for as long as it did you got a lot of a lot of memories about him
3: yeah all great stuff i mean you know i i really became a different musician after working with him and after working with caudier uh, which is reflected in this album. As a matter of fact, I mean that's that was a large part of you know growth in that 25 years was the last 10 mm-hmm. or 20, you know, and all the different uh, projects that we did, and learning how to to really orchestrate. And that's that's the one thing I will say about the guitar the, the guitar album. It's actually uh, not a guitar album as you would think where you have a lot of court, your chord progression and a lot of wanking and soloing over the top of it. That's not what this album is. It's heavily, uh, use of, of, of more emphasis on composition and thematic motif done with guitars. And I mean, there's soloing obviously on the album, but it's only done to serve the song, not to serve my ego. Right. You know, I get, I, I get bored very quickly uh, wanking too long on something. I always feel like I'm overstaying my welcome. And the fact that is, is the tune actually benefiting from this, or is it just me that's, that thinks it's benefiting because I'm getting into my playing? So I, I really don't go there. Um, I always think about what works for the song and what works for the narrative, because all of these songs are, as in any, any song, it's storytelling. And whether you have words or whether you have notes, it's the same rules apply to, to the grammatical structure. is still the same. Your notes are the same as your letters, your, your chords, same as your words and your phrases, same as your sentences and your ideas are the same as your paragraphs. And you're formulating some kind of a story and that story has to have a beginning, a middle and an end. It has to have an arc, not just one straight you know thing going through. And I find that a lot of the guitar albums tend to do that where they're technically very, very accomplished players. And, but, but I I find a lot of them are lacking in compositional heft where I'm not, I kind of lose interest after the third song because they're all kind of, yeah, they're, they're all great when it comes to the technical, but I'm not hearing a lot of different stories. And so for me, it's a storybook. Each one of these is is a chapter in a story. And, uh, I've used the guitars as, as an orchestra, uh, like I say, after working with Tadier, he really opened me up to a whole different uh, state of expression, as far as the microdynamics and things that really make the humanistic breathing and organic life that music has and is capable of having. And so, there's so many guitar parts on here, and I, I have to constantly be giving a, a, a props to Ryan Green, who mixed this uh, album and did all the drums on it, as far as you know, m- uh, uh, mixing them and recording them. And it would have struck fear into the heart of anybody. Any other sound mixer would have seen how many guitar tracks were needed for this. Um, at one point, I actually maxed out his Pro Tools system at 165 tracks, uh, and he said, "I've never seen that in any in any <laughs> in any no. uh, recording I've done." Is you maxed me out, dude? You know? And I said, <laughs> "Well, I guess that's some sort of a badge of honor." But the thing is that they're not all playing at the same time. They're all on uh, you know separate tracks. Coming in for maybe a split second or three or four bars, maybe as a hybrid of two other, or three other instruments, all guitars with different tones, so it makes a hybrid sound, just like orchestra, where you've got got you know, you've got you've got a hundred and you know twenty piece orchestra. They're not all playing at the same time. Maybe the triangle player only plays one hit in the song, but that hits perfect where it is. Right. So all of these have been have been you know, parceled out to their own individual tracks, so that we had you know, all of the capabilities of making this stuff sound, you know, cohesive and not cluttered, you know, yet all kinds of, there's every guitar tone known to man on this album, and it's because I was trying to emulate the orchestra as far as different things coming in and out, and and Ryan mixed the hell out of this thing, man. He was just, uh, no one else could have done this, and I, I will always be grateful to him for this.
1: Now, outside of the, you know, obviously it took Twenty-five years to put all these things together. How about the actual recording and mix down um, time that it took to do this? When did when would when did you decide
3: that you were ready with this? uh, A couple years ago, I was getting emails and Facebook notifications, and people saying, you know, people come up and shows. Where's your next record, man? When you know, when are you going to come out? You know, and I I think I I asked you that myself. (laughs) Of course, you did. (laughs) And and, uh, so I got tired of having to go. I'll work on something but I, I needed to feel like it was time for me to say something. I'm not just, I'm not, have never been one that was financially motivated to just go, okay, well, that one worked. I'm going to put out something exactly the same. Yeah. I, I felt that two albums, I wanted to do something different and find out what I was capable of, you know, stop going around the track in a circle, but actually go out of the stadium and run in a straight line, right. see what the terrain looked like, you know? And so I did that for 25 years, but <clears throat> you know, on about two years ago, I decided, okay, it's time. I've done enough stuff that I think I, I can safely do an album and reflect all of those places. And hopefully all the musical growth that I've encountered on the way, uh, to, to, to warrant another album. I just didn't want to put out another solo album. I wanted to make, make sure there was a reason for it.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And so that's, so in the last two years is, is kind of when I started in earnest of doing this stuff. And, it took a while because I would write, you know, I wrote you know, uh, most of it before I went to Ryan and saying, Hey, I want to, we want to mix all of this. And, and he was so busy and he, he's constantly working on projects and also working with Nickelodeon now as well, that I had to wait for his availability. And that was a lesson in patience because I really wanted to get with it. But I knew that I didn't, for one, one, I didn't want anyone else touching this stuff. And two, um, if I wanted it done right, I didn't want to pressure him. I knew that he would call and sure enough, he'd go say, Hey, I've got some time, you know, Friday and Saturday, band. let's grind on this stuff. And we would do it. We would lay drums down or whatever we would do and piece this stuff together as we went. So, uh, a a large portion of it was waiting for Ryan to be become available because I didn't want anyone else working on it.
1: Well, you explained it perfectly. (laughs) You know, and it's funny, Again, while you're looking waiting for a producer, yeah, I really uh, commend you for, for knowing the right guy that you wanted to do with and, and being patient enough to, uh, to use strictly him for that. Now, how did the two of you guys hook up initially, anyway?
3: Uh, initially, through Troy Lachetta. Okay. And I will, I will say something, Troy, Troy, our mantra through this whole thing has been something that Troy's father had said to him, which said, you can't wait long enough for a good thing. And that was kind of our T-shirt that we wore, you know, because it was one of those things where I go, God, I, got, I don't want to get going. He goes, don't worry, man, it'll happen and it's supposed to happen. And he was he was a good grounding factor in that way. Patience, and, my son, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you, Obi-Wan. Yes. And, and so we met back in 2005. Uh, Troy had introduced me to Ryan. Uh, Ryan was working in Scottsdale, where Troy was living. And Troy had found this, uh, gentleman named Micah Griner, who was a great vocalist and says, you know what, you and, and Mark Bonilla ought to get together and see what happens and write some stuff. So he, uh, Micah came over, immediately liked him. And we set, we just started sitting here and we started writing songs and that we, we, he would just write, you know, whatever lyrics, he would just sing them as we rolled tape. And, uh, You know, we came up with some great stuff and then Troy came in with the drums and and uh, that was the beginning of a band called Seville Row that we and we actually have an album out uh, was out. uh, We released it, I want to say, three years ago. Great stuff. And it's it was like all all, alternative rock, very much kind of in the vein of, of like Deshuala or Soundgarden, kind of in that vein. Mm-hmm. And Ryan Ryan Green recorded the album. We 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 went to Scotts Scottsdale, Arizona, and we're there living at Troy's house like a band, you know, sleeping on that studio floor. Sure. Like like the old days, right? And that's how we did We were all in that in the house together and creating this record. And uh then after that I just I, I saw how wonderful Ryan's you know, how great of a temperament that he had. And how great his ears were, you know, as far as production wise. So I brought him in on a couple of different things. One of them was the Three Page Project. He came in to do the LA uh, portion of that with all the band stuff. Uh, and he was here with Arne Oxelberg from Abbey Road, who was doing the orchestral part of it. And they worked together beautifully, as, as, you know, I knew that they would. And I also had Ryan on a couple of other projects. I did the theme for uh, Larry Wilmore's The Nightly Show, I did that theme for that show. And I had Ryan mix that and, you know, so we've, we've, we've traded projects back and forth, but I, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, how a director will always work with the same composer usually, or, you know, likes the same lead actor because they know what they're getting. They know that, that they always, it it will always result in a good product and, and something that you, okay, I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to worry about that aspect of it, whatever that happens to be with Ryan. I don't have to worry about anything. (laughs) I know that it'll, and, and he's, he's a, he's just a uh, incredibly tireless worker. And I mean, I don't know how he does it. Um, so it's, uh, yeah. So th- that's why we, you know, after that first project, we all just fell in love with each other. We're like, man, let's do some more stuff. And and we have, you know, and, and I'm sure that we'll continue to do so in the future. So the back of the t-shirt said worth waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, it has been. I yeah. mean, I, look, I've, uh, the, the, the response that I've been getting is the one I would hope I would have gotten, you know, for all this hard work, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and it's right. It's, it's not just me. It's everybody else that contributed to this, you know, in so many ways are, are shining through it as well. You know, and and that's what I'm most proud of is, is my friends that, that, that volunteered. I would love to come in, Steve McCarl, could I play piano on this. I would love for you to play And Philip Seiss. And, and my buddy, Jim Gammon, you know, my blind blind friend from the past is playing trumpet on, on sailor. You know, so uh, it's like I've got, it's like a family reunion of sorts. You know, that's and, terrific. and uh, you know, and that's it comes across. It really does. All the goodwill comes across on these tracks, I think.
1: And I love that. I love that it goes all over the place in terms of, of tempos and direction and and things like that. So, yeah. and uh, with that in mind, you know, I'm gonna let you, uh, pick out another t- pick out another track of your choice and explain why and uh, what it's all about out of it. Uh, tell me. Well, tell me it. another one to play.
3: Well, Let's uh, let's pick a, since you mentioned it. Let's pick uh, the, the eruption of John Minimum. There's, uh, there's a there's two parts.
1: There's two parts to that. There's two
3: parts. Yes, let's, let's 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 say part one for for those people that that uh, you know will will be happily surprised by the the personnel on it. And let's let's pick part two. That happens to be my son's favorite part. And what this is, by the way, I'll just kind of uh, uh, set it up is the eruption of John minimum was a title that I had dreamed. I, you know, I woke up one, one morning. sounds like a blues lyric. Sure. And, uh, I, I, uh, it was like what the, what's the eruption of John? What the hell? Is, I wrote it down because I thought it was interesting. And I thought, well, I'll figure that out later, what it means. And, and it, it, it seemed to me that it was, it was basically the story of the, of the guy that lives down the street that never, uh, that no one ever notices. Uh, you know, they, they keep to themselves, don't really have any friends. They're not mean, but they're just even. And and one day you find out that they've snapped and they've walked into a, a mall or they've walked into a synagogue and they've opened fire. And, and people think, we never saw it coming. You know, they, 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 he was always, you know, he was so, a loner. <laughs> yes, yes, and you you wonder how they get to be that way, or what is it? What's the straw that breaks that back? You know, and and what it is, and and so John Minimum being the word Minimum being the small guy, the little guy, and obviously the eruption is obvious, you know, and so the first part, part one is vocal, and it and in the lyrics it kind of explains of you know him going and and the seg by the way that follow, that precedes that also leads into this with the the sermon that the that the preacher is giving on the uh, on the radio as he's loading his gun in the car and then the second part is the actual event itself and all of these things that would be going on in in someone's mind during the unfolding of the last hours or minutes sometimes of his life and so the the second part is very very dark but it has moments of euphoria in it and because the, the mind has got to be divided into all these different shards uh, that you, your know, personality uh, conflicts and, and morals and, and ethics and, and then not giving, you know, not caring uh, afterwards until the ultimate abrupt end that, that comes. And so this song, part two, The Eruption of John Minimum, is what this is about.
1: Well, there's a lot going on in there. I can understand now why Keith Emerson said, save it for the solo record. Cause it's an awful lot of, a lot of well, information on there. This,
3: part, this second part was written, was one of the newer things. He hadn't. It was first part one that he said to save. Part two, he would have definitely said, that. No, he would have probably loved it as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. He would have probably go, that goes on my solo album. Right. You know? so, yeah. Now you mentioned
1: this. This was your son's favorite. Now, why this particular movement of the song is your son's favorite?
3: Well, I think because it has so many jagged edges to it, it really piques his curiosity.
4: Uh-huh.
3: Um, he's he's into a lot of very eclectic stuff. This this kid, he's eighteen now, and you know, for one, he grew up with Keith. Keith was would give him piano lessons. Wow. And he just, that. you know, and he he didn't know who he was. He just thought it was just Sodom Uncle Keith, right? Yeah. He had no history. Right, and he'd be sitting at the piano, and Keith would he would show him what he, Keith, you know, he would show Keith what he was learning, and he says, "Oh, well, try doing this," and he said, and he actually taught him Prelude to, to a Hope when he was seven. Wow, and and you know, and then he's playing away, you know, he, he, Keith starts to bang away, and then and Nate comes up to me, he's like, you know, he says, "Daddy," and he goes, "Yeah," and he points to Keith, and he goes, "He's good," you know, and I went. <laughs>
4: Yeah, he should he do is. something. <laughs> <laughs>
3: like I had no idea you know it's so he he grew up with that innocence of just thinking of him as as Uncle Keith and not not knowing what his what his history was till later you know and so I think because of that he grew up with with all of these interesting people coming through the house sure none of them too introverted and was open to soundtracks. I mean, his, his favorite music to listen to is, is soundtracks from films. That's what he does. He doesn't listen to, you know, the top 40 he never has. He's always listened to stuff that, that has been a little bit deeper. I, I, you know, prog stuff and, and, and like I said, soundtrack stuff. And so when things become angular and interesting and, and the textures are abrasive and then they, 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 they soften up into something completely different. I think it just piques his curiosity. And, and I mean, you, you'd probably have to ask him, uh, he could probably, uh, Explain it a lot more eloquently than I could, you know, now, as far as why you like
1: Now did he have a lot of fun with Uncle Keith's Moog synthesizer and
3: all the all the oh, plugs yeah. and well, wires yeah. coming out of that? <laughs> yes, well but he was when he was like two, you know, one and two, he would come in and re-repatch my patch bay, you know, unbeknownst to me. I'd come in and go, "Why is there keyboards coming through my guitar rig?" You know, <laughs> he was playing telephone <laughs> operator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd be in there doing. It. And so when when Keith Mode was over here for a summer, you know, that was like, oh man, that's like a you know a dude.
4: You yeah. cannot
3: pull these out. These have been in here since 1971. Okay? Right, you can't. You can't mess with this, you know. I, I showed him a couple of knobs that he could press, and he could, yeah. You know, so he had learned about sample and hold and LFO and all that. And Keith was fine with it; he was cool. He trusted us over here, you know.
1: That's good. And
3: uh, so he was able to play with the, you know, with the one that's now in the, you know, he's, it's in the wherever it is now. It's on display somewhere back. Yeah, back was in
1: it was. Yeah, it was actually in a museum in uh, in New York too for a while, wasn't it? They in New York, a, yes, yeah. They the did M- a great metro. big yeah. at the Met, yeah. The Met.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And it's like I you know, somebody said, Hey, look at this and I said, Oh yeah, I had one I had one just like it in my bedroom. Wow. You know? <laughs> my son but
1: my son loves
3: it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he dug it, so it was cool for him. You know, he's had a pretty, pretty eclectic childhood. You well,
1: know? let's crank up his favorite song on the record. This is called The Eruption sure. of John Minimum, Part Two. It's brand new from Mark Bonilla from uh Celluloid Debris, brand new record, which comes out in two days. Again, you can find it on his website and uh We'll be back with uh, with Mark in just a moment. Let's give it a spin here. Hang on the line again once again, Mark. We're going to put you on hold and okay. let the people uh, groove on some of your tunes here. Again, crank this one up. You're going to love it. From Mark Bonilla, right there. From Celluloid Debris. That's The Eruption of John Minimum, Part 2. Nice ballad. Yeah, the ballad part. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Man, I'm telling you, it's... uh, this record, as I as I said a bunch of times, it goes in so many different directions. That's why I love it because you know, there's nothing worse when you're listening to something that's brand new and it's just, as you said, I don't want to listen to the same guitar record over and over again where it's just riff after, riff after riff after riff after riff and it never goes anywhere. It's like watching a film or reading a book and it never has any kind of a plot or anything. It's just content.
3: Yeah. This is just well, you know what? It's, it's brilliant. You know, it was a great record for me growing up. It was a really, uh, I was a huge Edgar and Johnny Winter fan, you know, massive, and Rick Derringer. Mm -hmm. And Rick Rick Derringer released an album in 70, I want to say 73, called All American Boy. Right. That had rock and roll hoochie-coo on it, and then a slew of these other tunes that were all songs. But each song had a different type of a guitar in it. One would have a pedal steel, one would have a dobro, one would, you know, be acoustic. All different types of tones and everything and feels on. I remember going at the time going, "Now this is a guitar album, man. This every song is different." Yeah. And and in in I remember never getting tired of listening to it because it was constantly like going to a smorgasbord and going, "Okay, now I'm going to have you know I'm going to have you know I'm going to go to the Spanish section to have this. And I'm going go to the Irish section and have this, you know." And uh, to me. I don't I don't write stuff to throw it away. In other words, when guys go in and say, well, we're writing a 25 songs and we'll pick the best. No, that's not how this works because the writing doesn't, and I uh, this probably will explain it, the writing doesn't come from me. It, it, it it's goes through me somehow. And I think if any writer would be honest with themselves, it would be the same thing, it would be the same claim. You don't have anything to do with this stuff if you're channeling it. You may have to be able to, keep your car tuned up. So whoever wants to come in and drive it can, it'll respond to them. And by that, I mean, your scales, your, you know, your musical knowledge of stuff, you know, your technique and your facility. But when, when I write this stuff, I don't, I, I, I'm not aware that I'm writing. I'm not, it's not any conscious thing. I just start playing and it's like, Oh, that's cool. I like that. You know, and, and you're basically kind of leaving your channel open for, Whatever wants to, whoever your muses are, if you want to call them that, coming through and creating through you. Otherwise, if you start to think that this stuff comes from you, you're in trouble because it's like going into them, going into the uh, the desert with a canteen. It's mm-hmm. going to run out at some point. Yeah. But if you think of it as a river that runs next to the desert, all you got to go over there and just dip your cup in, it'll always be there. And I've never, I've never had writer's block in any of the TV shows I've ever done. Any of the films I've ever done, anything. I've always come up with something because I know that it is it's not me. it's not up to me. It's just up to me, you know, kind of like ringing the fire alarm for the fire alarm guys or for the firemen to come down the pole. okay, where's the fire? Oh, it's over here on the keyboard. okay, we're gonna go over there and do something. So and I think if a lot of a lot of players are like that should be like that too that that you need to give it up, man. you need to give it up and not be so conscious of you, of yourself on the stage and I mean really, you you look at Hendrix on in Woodstock doing this the star-spangled banner you have the split screen where you have him on the left blazing away with his fingers and on the right it's just him kind of with his head back you know and his eyes shut he isn't anywhere on that stage he's gone he's he's vacated the building and there's somebody else coming through him mm-hmm. and that's how that you know and and so I don't take credit for any of this stuff really I mean I'm I love the fact that that People will like it, but I I really have to hand the props to whoever's coming, coming through and channeling this stuff. Uh, It doesn't, you know, so it keeps me rather grounded that way because I don't really start to, to, you know, think of myself as anything more than a servant to the music. And that's really what we all should be. When we do songs, is is we're, we all serve the song—the the vocalist, the, the the writer, the the drummer, everybody—and once you start serving yourself, it's pretty obvious, and that's usually when the album starts to become mundane. Hmm. But if you're serving the song and serving the composition and serving the story, you're you're a viable character in the story that makes you know. There's a reason that you're in there. Then it, the 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 song or the story can't help but be a success.
1: Well, You are very possessed with. Uh... With the influences and uh, everything that came through on this, I really uh, I applaud you on yeah. this on this whole project. Yeah. It's great. Um, you were telling me about another project that you that you were writing, uh, talking about a uh, a new guitar instruction book that's different than a lot of the other ones. Uh, talk a little bit about that if you would.
3: Well, it, it also comes out. I've decided to just open the Bombay doors and let everything fly on July 3rd, you know. So <laughs> you are the king thought... of the metaphor. I love <laughs> your metaphors. They're awesome, by the way. I just got to well, let you know. Well, there's a shitload of them in this book. <laughs> yeah. I, the, the Mike Prescott, who edited this, says, you're the king of the metaphor. I swear to God, I've never seen anybody use so many analogies. Like, well, They're good ones. But that's how, that's how you teach stuff, sure. you know. it's like so. Have to you have to pull something tangible that people can go oh I can relate to yeah exactly. to, to shoveling shit down the street in a wheelbarrow now I get it you know whatever <laughs> it might be so it's you know you have to you have to find a way to get into the house man if you have to go up the stairs and through a back window do it that way it's all right both my but, parents yeah, book, both
1: my pe- my parents were teachers so I definitely get well, that
3: then, <laughs> then they, then they know. You know, yeah. In, yeah. In, and it's the joy of being able to get into a house that no one's been able to get into before, sure. Sure. and have a light switch on, and like, okay, that's good. You know, so, so also yeah. on July third, you have a new
1: book coming out. So tell us a little bit yeah. about that.
3: Well, it's called Balance of Power, and it's it's strategies and insights for guitar. And what I've done, and, and the idea had been in my brain for for a number of years to write like a definitive book on the staple knowledge of guitar playing. You know, where where that 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 every season player knows, but that usually you don't get from a book. You get it from street knowledge, you get it from gigs, you get it from playing with other people, you get it from bands that you are in, you get it from bad experiences that just went to hell. You know, everything. It's that's where we really learn our craft. I mean, when you go when you take your driving test and you get your license, how good of a driver are you when you walk out of the DMV? Not very good, but if you if you're on the road for 25 years or whatever, you know, a, a period of time, any given period of time, you start to realize that, hey, man, these guys are running red lights. These guys are turning left where they shouldn't be. These guys are going – you start really understanding how people drive like idiots, and then you're, you're a much better driver. It's the same thing with this. In, in, in as much as I've tried to encapsulate in the book that just the knowledge that, that, at least from my standpoint, that you need to sound – great to sound like anything you ever wanted to sound like you can do it and you can do it by simply really cleaning out your closet. There's so many books that have a chords and a million scales and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, you, know, you just, it's too much stuff in the closet that you're never going to need, but you're going to have to go around to get to the, the shirt that you really do want to wear. So what I've done is it's, it's about 132 pages and, and it goes through you know, it goes to music theory. It starts with music theory, but only the theory that you need, not the other stuff. And and and, and it all relates to the guitar. And even though the theory could relate to other instruments, it goes to building chords and and the function of chords and done taking away all the mystery. Because when I teach, and I do teach. My students, when I, when I show them this stuff, they go, God, I thought it was harder than that. I went, yeah, you're supposed to think it's harder than that because the word theory. It's not. This is not Einstein, man. This is basic math, and there's a way to look at it where it makes total sense and that applies to the guitar very efficiently. So I go through all of that. I go through the blues progression, uh, different chords, uh, substitute chords, all the stuff that you'd learn in jazz that, that is not that difficult to play. And... But you sound you say it sounds difficult when you do it. That's what the interesting thing is. And at the end of the book, I kind of get into a section where I know it is in these other books, and that is the theory of where this stuff comes from. Like I was talking about channeling, uh, tools of expression. You know, uh, playing in in bands. Like what to do in a band, what to do. You know, I mean, how to how to conduct yourself in a particular band so that you get asked back. You know, different things, uh, just things that that were kind of. I had to learn the hard way a lot of it and I decided why I, I kind of wanted to spare the other, the players from having to go through that and try to save them a time so they could jump a little bit in their progress. I mean, we, we all have to put in the time and the flight hours, but this kind of gives us a, a direction of, of what to look for and what to look for as far as feeling, uh, you know, w- how I'm supposed to feel about this stuff when, when I am channeling what it feels like. And I've also given a list in the back there of 50, Classic songs, guitar songs, from different artists, from Jeff Beck to, to Jan Ackerman to to Steve Howe, uh, that are available on my w- that will be available on the website under under links that have all the songs in order and in the book here it has like what to listen for what what these songs are perfect examples of you know and they're they're they're, they're all discussed in the book but they're also discussed in the list of the suggested listing. So it's a, it's, it's basically, if you have this book, I don't, I really don't think you'd need another one. It's, it's at least again, this is going to be from my standpoint and every guitarist, every teacher that's ever put out a book, it's going to be from their own, their own standpoint. But I know that this is the stuff that's worked for me. And it's, it's, it's streamlined. There's no fat anywhere. It's all prime filet. That's why it took so long to write it just to make sure that I wasn't being redundant with anything. So, and that's what we've got. Now would this
1: be geared to a more seasoned or advanced guitar player or somebody that's just kind of starting out or somebody that's well, not think, really sure which direction that they want to go?
3: Well, I think it 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 you both could use it. I mean, I've got on here intermediate to advanced because it okay. really does start to get, you know, into the real nuts and bolts of playing, you know, uh within like the the fourth or fifth chapter. Uh you know, But, but, but someone that, that knows the guitar already isn't going to have an issue with it because I've tried very, very hard using metaphors to uh, mm-hmm. try to be very, very plain and, and, and taking great pains and making sure that, that a lot of times you put stuff to print. Uh, if you miss a word here or there or, you, or one word could refer to two different things, uh, the, the reader could take it wrong. I've tried very hard not to be unclear about anything to make sure that that, it, that it's all explained you know and everybody has a firm foundation but but beginning guitar players will will I think benefit from the first few chapters of it just because it's theory but it's theory that's that's beginning theory that gets a little bit more involved but if you do it chapter by chapter it it grows it's it's done in a log a logarithmic way of 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 learning so we start simple and then we get more involved as we go along. So it's 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 a progressive book as it goes through. It's not just it doesn't just start with a with a train running at 60 miles an hour. Wow. And again the title It's called Balance of Power. It'll be available on the on the website as well. And the website so, again? That would be markbeniamusic.com. And all this will be available coming
1: up on July 3rd. Uh, I yep. hope uh, You all take advantage of this. And again, the record, Celluloid Debris, also available July 3rd on said website. And soon, I'm sure every place else that fine music is sold.
3: Um, You know,
1: (laughs) you'll find it. Yeah, I will. I just
3: don't want to give Amazon 30 to 40% right off the bat. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing nothing. You know, I'm I'm tired of record labels. I had two or three other record labels that wanted to release this. And I said, you know what? Sorry, I'm going to release it myself. You guys, you know. It just—it's different. The business is different now. You Absolutely, know? And it used to be the companies where where you'd record this stuff, where you would it would distribute this stuff. We don't need that now. Nope. You know, so it's it's not necessary. They become kind of a of an ex, uh, un, an extra expenditure that we really don't need.
1: Nope. Well Mark, I'm telling you it's always a pleasure to speak with you. I mean every time every time I've ever spoken to you, I come away a better person so just know that. well thank
3: you. bless you for that. That was a nice thing to say.
1: Sure. Um, another track that, that we can that we can play and let our uh, let our listeners
3: uh, minds well, run free. <laughs> okay, well let's do let's do something a little less aggressive than the last one. Okay. Um, this was a uh, this is called our winter love. it's the last track on the on the album. And there, there are three covers that I did on the record. Uh, Four and 20s uh, by Stephen Stills, uh, a rather different version of that. Uh, Sailor yeah. was uh, written by Kevin Godley and Lil Cream from 10CC, was on the album Consequences. And then this one, which was uh, the, the version I fell in love with, was by Bill Purcell back in, ni- in the 1960s. And my brother Tom and I, you know, we had a very small bedroom in Walnut Creek where we grew up. And, you know, we would hang out in there and listen to that transistor radio. And this is one of the songs that we both just couldn't get enough of. And it was a beautiful ballad. And the thing that I want to do, then the thing that you do with cover tunes, and this is something, actually, I I cover this in the book as well, that when you do a cover song, you have to have a reason to redo it. There's no reason to do it the same exact way. It's already been done that way and and probably going to be better than the way you do it but you have to find a way that, that it's your personality that comes through the song and to find as to shine a light on the song in a different way so that people see the beauty of it as you saw it. And, and on our winter love, that's what I did here. I, I, you know, the song you would hear the original song and you would have a emotional reaction to it. And then you would hear the re- the version that I did and you would have a different emotional reaction to it because mine is simply, the way that i felt when i heard that song so i was trying to translate my emotional re- reaction to it as opposed to the initial song and the and the, the organic reaction that you would have of that song which everybodys is different um, whenever you hear any song it's subjective you'll have a different reaction to it than than i will to than than my mom would so this is simply a uh, kind of a translation of my reaction to it and my when I listen to it, the nostalgia that it, it brings back, and you know the 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 sanctuary of music, and that that's what this song is all about.
1: Well, I noticed on the notes too that your brother Tom is actually on this particular recording as well.
3: I had to have him on it because sure. this was part. We I had him play percussion on it. You know, I can't. He came up and and uh, you know, and I have I have childhood friends on the album. Jim Gammon, you know, is yeah. on the album. Like I say, I say. So I have it's like a family reunion of sorts it really is and and so you know that's whole reason for all this so we all, we were all born from this my my family was very musical growing up my brother's a drummer and I looked up to him and my whole family played music you know just not professionally but would would sit around in neighborhood jam sessions we have uh, Mickey Riley and Josie Riley come over from from across the street to play piano accordion and clarinet you know, uh, Kathy Gammon came over and played violin, Jim played trumpet, you know, my family played what they did, and so it was just, I, I learned at a very young age, the enjoyment of just playing music, it didn't have to be good, as a matter of fact, when it was shitty, it was funny, you know, and it would, we, would get, we would get enjoyment out of all the clam bakes that would happen, you know, but um, I learned very, very young that, that music was enjoyable, and, and I, I still, to this day, remember the feeling I had doing that stuff. And this is this this song is is reminiscent of that. It's it's that feeling that I got, uh, you know, in my u- in my youth, in my early days listening to this. As a matter of fact, that the tune starts with my my uh, little um, uh, RCA Victor forty five record player that you where you'd stack the records, you know, yeah, and yeah, then they yeah. go, bam, you know, the the worst thing for for records. And I think the record companies do that because you'd be back to buy another. Yeah, one, exactly. You, you have know, to buy more and, of them. Yeah, and so. You hear that at the beginning of this, you'll hear the platter hit the ground and then the needle come over and start the, the, the stat, you know, you hear the vinyl clicks and pops uh, that, that will always make us feel warm and fuzzy. Absolutely. You know, that, that vinyl. And then, you know, I started out with a little small, uh, mono, you know, a uh, version of the actual songs theme done, And then all of a sudden this thunder hits and it opens up into modern day. And then it's my my nostalgic look back at my brother and I being in that room wow. all those years ago. Well, we're going to give it
1: a, a, a go right now. Again, my thanks to you for, for calling in and, and uh, talking with us here. And I uh, look my forward pleasure. to it. Again, it's Celluloid Debris. Hang on the line there just for a moment there, Mark. And all here right. we go. It's brand new. It's called Our Winter Love from Celluloid Debris. Brand new from Mark Bonilla. Listen to this and love it. standing brand new from Mark Bonilla and that one is called our winter love from his brand new record celluloid debris my thanks to Mark for calling in and uh, telling us all about the record again it'll be out on July 3rd along with his guitar instruction book and everything that else Mark Bonilla related and uh, you can look at mark music.com for further information Again, this is Junkman on Junkman Radio and VintageRock.com. All right, uh, about forty years ago, a great little independent movie company decided to put out a film, and it's uh, based on the Who's 1973 record "Quadrophenia." And it's a killer record. I love it. It's probably my favorite Who album. And it's all about uh, the story of Jimmy, who's a punk in England. And just he joins the mod scene, which is the, which was the scene of the uh, people in the nice little suits and riding scooters in Great Britain in the early '60s. They listened to a lot of soul music, and they had their own scene for a while. And they always clashed with the rockers, who were the guys that listened a little bit heavier rock and roll and dressed in leather and rode motorcycles and things like that. But uh, just it was the rise and fall of Jimmy the story, and it was written by. The Who, and they came out with a a great movie on it in 1979. And they've been playing it in the theaters uh, to celebrate the 40th anniversary of it recently. And so I thought I'd uh, do a little tribute to it. And that tribute would be one of our weekly features here at Junkman Radio. It's the VintageRock.com six pack. Six songs from a particular artist or a genre, or perhaps in this case, an album or movie soundtrack. And uh, of a particular style. And uh, we give you a six-pack of them. Six songs. And so uh, I'd like to salute our sponsors. VintageRock.com is a great website for all kinds of classic and vintage rock material, including reviews and concert reviews and CDs and books and all kinds of things uh, that are in the vintage rock genre. So let's start it out. And from Quadrophenia. This is The Who on Junkman Radio.
0: VintageRock.com, six-pack.
1: Junk Man Radio. Cue the wrecked scooter. <laughs> that was Cue the wrecked scoot- scooter. All right. Uh, wrapping up a Junk Man Radio. Vintage rock.com six-pack with some music from the Who's Quadrophenia album. Hope you enjoyed that. To me, that's my favorite Who album. Just all the songs on it are terrific. The songs tell a story. It's a concept record. Um. And it's the 40th anniversary of the Quadrophenia movie, which tells the story, again, of Jimmy, a very lost soul in Great Britain in the early 60s and all the things that he went through. But uh, just a great story. Read up on it if you wish, but just awesome, awesome songs and uh, six songs off that great record by the Ooh, as they were known. That one, uh, of course, Love, Rain, or Me. The great big uh, finish to that movie. For that, is it in my head? Love that song as well too. Just great lyrics from uh, from Pete Townsend, Doctor Jimmy. Before that, played five fifteen, the train that he took during the uh, during the story. The Punk and The Godfather, probably my favorite song off that whole record, preceded that, and then uh, started things out with The Real Me, which is the first song on the on the album, How It Starts. Um, if you haven't really gotten into The Who uh, later years, that one was probably their last really, really all-together-through-great record. They're uh, back touring again. Um, with the surviving members of uh, the Who, Pete Townsend, and Roger Daltrey, along with a big band and a lot of memories for a lot of people. And they're going to be touring around, so you can go check them out still. Go find them. But again, a uh, VintageRock.com six-pack. Go check out VintageRock.com for more information, including the new Who tour. They'll be talking all about it with reviews of it uh, from around the nation and world and some info on uh, what's going on, but that's your one-stop shopping for vintage rock stuff, anything, articles, books, records, news, what have you. Just go to VintageRock.com and they're nice enough to be sponsors here and a six pack of tunes. All right. I'm Junkman And I'm out of here for today. I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank uh, my guest, uh, Mark Bonilla, for phoning in and talking about his brand new record. Which you can find, again, on markbonillamusic.com. It's going to be released. And uh, the record is awesome. It's going to be called Celluloid Debris. So go check it out. All right, band I saw the other night, completely kicked ass, as always. And I'm going to leave you with them right here. This is Judas Priest. Heading out to the highway, which I'm going to do right about now. It's Junk Man Radio. Thanks for listening. Crank it.